0: Today I want to start uh, my message, and by the way, we're in Romans 12, uh, continuing our series on Romans uh, today. We're going to be in Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. Let's pray. Father, um, thank you that you love us. Thank you that uh, just in the simplicity of us coming to Jesus in faith, we are reborn, we're made new, we enter into your love, and you love us madly. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I'm reading a book right now called From Slavery to Sonhood by a guy named Jack Frost. And yeah, what what a great book and what a great name, isn't it? Jack Frost. Uh, How could you not be successful as an author with that name? But um, he said that, uh, he he made a, a, a reference that I had not put together before. He said that Jesus came, in John it says, he came in the bosom of the Father. He was in the bosom of the Father. And that's about as close as you can get. That means being hugged closely. And that you and I are invited into that same type of intimate, close relationship with the Father. That's what that's what Jesus calls us into. And so uh, that in and of itself, just that truth is so life-changing for us to begin to understand that. That, um, that, that we enter into greater freedom. That, that's what our goal is with this series. Is to understand our identity in Christ and how the Holy Spirit works through that identity, through that new nature that he's given to us. So I want to start uh, by giving you an illustration from my own life. Uh, Lori and I met in 1975, in May of 1975, at a Bible conference in St. Mary's Lake, Ohio. We started writing to each other and we wrote letters for two months, probably about two letters a week, and um, really got to know each other's hearts that way. I saw that she was a woman that was really committed to Jesus and really loved the Lord and was going to follow him and serve him no matter what. She saw the same thing in me in the letters I wrote to her. So we had our first date in mid-July. I came down, um, stayed with her parents. She was living in Madisonville at the time here in Cincinnati. I was living in Akron, Ohio. And, uh, and that first date, I, I went away that weekend madly in love. Uh, drove home Sunday night and... Um, my, my friend said I started stopping at green lights at that point, and that was true. I don't know why, but I just was so confused and, and so much thinking about Lori. But um, we dated then again in the middle, middle, of, um, middle of August. I came down to see her. Then the last weekend of August, I was scheduled to come down, and she wrote me that week and said, I have Friday off. Is it okay if I fly to Cleveland I'll take a bus from Cleveland to Akron, and I'll get there right about the time you're coming out of school, so I, can, so I can ride back down to Cincinnati with you. And how many of you know that back in those days, the speed limit was 55 miles an hour? That was a long drive, let me tell you. But uh, that, that was really made it sweet, because she was going to be with me this time. And somewhere north of Columbus, I proposed, and she said yes. That was August 29th we got married November 30th of the same year, three months later. And uh, I want to stop right now and do a little side note. Some of the fruit of our marriage and um, us us coming together as husband and wife, we're going to see a picture here. This is our newest grandson. That is Silas Jordan Cochran. Jordan is um, Jen's maiden name. And you can see uh, the four of them there. Haya as proud as can be. And she loves Silas. She's so gentle and kind to him. She just loves him. But he's just a sweet little guy. And uh, they'll be back uh, among us here in another week or so. But I wanted to show you that just so you would kind of be in the know. Well, Lori and I got married. And uh, we knew each other's hearts, we knew we were committed to the Lord, Uh, but that first year of marriage was pretty rough because she and I had vastly different backgrounds and not only that, vastly different personalities, and everything we looked at we saw differently. And so after a year of, of bickering and fighting, we went for marriage counseling, and the counselor taught us, gave us some good tools on how to reconcile. So we learned about forgiveness. And I'll often tell young couples, the most important thing you can learn is how to forgive, how to let it go and and get it behind you. And um, we also had some tools that would help us communicate about our differences. And, And we grew as a couple, but it wasn't until we were married for 20 years that we really began to see each other in the right light. And up until that time, for the first 20 years, we would work through things. We loved each other. We were committed to each other. But we both secretly suspected that the other was a little off. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You can identify. That's why this is funny, isn't it? Yeah. There was an old Puritan preacher that wrote uh, this. He said uh, to his wife, he said, sometimes... I." he said, sometimes I think the whole world is mad except me and thee, and sometimes I wonder about thee. (laughs) So that's kind of where we were. It would be like, you know, why can't she understand this? This is as plain as day, and she doesn't get it. She thinks this instead of that, and I don't understand that. And for her, it was probably more like, why can't he remember to do this? Why doesn't he do what he said he was going to do? And like, what that would mean is, uh, one illustration of this would be, we were standing in the backyard here in Cincinnati, and, um, and I looked at a bush, and I said, you know, I had to cut that bush down. That's all I said, I ought to cut that bush down. Now, how many of you guys know what that means? <laughs> all right. Later that summer, we were having a, a difficult moment, and Lori said, and you said you were going to cut this bush down, and you haven't done it yet. And I said, oh, I didn't ever say I was going to. I said, I ought to. <laughs> so it's so easy for us to look at things differently, isn't it? Well, we took this test called Myers-Briggs, which, and then, then it was interpreted for us. It's a personality test, and none of those are perfect, but um, all of them can be helpful. And this one helped us immensely because when we went through it with this uh, guy that we really trusted, we realized she's not crazy. She just, she's just made differently than I am. I knew that, but it hadn't really dawned on me in this practical of a way. And she looked at me and was able to say, he's not off at all. He's just different than me. We're made differently. And we need the strengths that we each bring to the relationship." And so when you really begin to understand that, what happens is that you no longer just need a system to resolve your differences, even though you secretly think the other person is off a little. You can begin to actually honor the other. You can begin to honor them and value their input, because you realize and we both realized at this point 20 years into our marriage, we've been married 43 years. now it took us 20 years to get this, but we, we need each other's opinions. And she has an opinion God's, because of the way God's designed her, and as do I. And so you can then begin to listen in an honoring way. And I want to say this. I believe that the key to unity, the key to, um, to, to walking in unity for, any, any, for a church, for a team at work, for just a group of neighbors, for family gathering at Thanksgiving the key to unity there is understanding how we're designed and valuing and honoring the differences let me illustrate that for you years ago we went to a church in Michigan and the church we just just arrived there as a new senior pastor and the church had been much larger at one point and so their auditorium held about 400 people on the first floor and then there was a balcony and there, there were maybe half filled on the first floor, and then probably 50 people up in the balcony. And I saw the value of pulling those people from the balcony down onto the first floor so we're all closer together, more energy, you know, more, more excitement in the room. And I was discussing that with the elders, and um, one guy said this. He said, what if someone's offended? He said, what if someone leaves the church because we tell them they can't sit in the balcony anymore? That, I, I said, we got to close the balcony. And, and what if just one person is offended, then we can't close the balcony. I looked at him as an obstructionist. I looked at him as someone who just really didn't trust God. And really, he was just in the way of someone with a bigger vision, with stronger leadership skills. And so, I just kind of like bold, rolled over him, and, and we shut down the balcony. Now, no, no, nothing bad came of that, but how much better would it have been if I had recognized this guy's speaking with a shepherd's heart? I was speaking more from an apostolic type of a heart or at least a senior leader heart. And he was speaking from a shepherd's heart. How much better would it have been if I had honored that? And I had just said, you know, man, I've, I've heard all the arguments. I really think we need to close down the balcony. But I agree with you. We don't want to hurt even one person so let's, you and I, figure out how we can do this in a way that will draw them all in and make them feel included rather than pushed away. Will you help me do that? That would have been honoring his gift. That would have been me still using mine, but honoring his. And this, this whole passage of 1 Corinthians 12 is about that. Now, these verses today we're going to read in a few moments, 6 through 8, they, they list this outline of spiritual gifts. And I actually called the message um, uh, today, um, not motivational gifts, but um, constitutional gifts. Yes, thank you. Uh, because I've looked at them that way before. Well, these are the gifts that are just part of who you are. And as I was studying the passage this week, I just saw that's not what he's saying here at all. It, this list of gifts, what he's doing is he's showing us how to get along with other people, how to function in a unit, in a body, or on a team, or in a family, or in a marriage. He's showing us how to function there. And then he just lists these gifts almost randomly to show the diversity of the gifts. And when we read it, we're going to see the first one he lists is prophecy. And then the second one is serving. So he goes from one gift that is very prominent and that most people look at and think, wow, that person, boy, they're really, they're really gifted. And I, I'm, I'm a server, so I'm not as gifted. You know, they're up here and I'm down here. And we gotta correct that. And that's what Paul's trying to do in this passage, in these verses. And if you remember last week, we looked at verses uh, three through five. And um, in three through five, Uh, The key phrase there was, in verse 3, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. And uh, if you remember, I kind of uh, boiled that all down to this, don't take yourself too seriously, okay? Don't take yourself too seriously, because if you take yourself too seriously, then you're prone to offense. You know, how dare you? You didn't give me the honor I deserved. You, you are recognized, and I did more than you did, and I wasn't recognized, and offense is taken, or how can you speak to me that way? How can you say that to me? Offense is taken, and there's nothing more deadly to unity, whether it's in marriage or in a church body, than offense taken and nurtured. And so he's just, he just laying this out for us here in this passage and showing us how to live a different way. And that's why in verses 1 and 2, he says, give yourself totally to God. That's why he says there, uh, lay yourself on the altar. And then he says, don't accept the world's way of thinking. He said, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the way of the world is what? It's comparison. It's competition. It's jealousy. It's envy. It's putting the other person down so you can be up. It's, it's, it's what James said leads to all sorts of evil. He says where there's jealousy and envy and selfish ambition is the word he uses. He said all sorts of evil uh, derives from that. And so Paul's here, he's, he's laying this out so clearly. Don't think like the world. We need to learn to think like Jesus. And then he's showing us how to think like Jesus. And he's not saying deny who you are. I like what Steve said up here. He's he's not saying, put yourself down, you know, badmouth yourself. You know, well, thank thank you for serving in that way. Oh, it was just it was just the little bit I could do. Don't do that. Just say thanks. I'm glad to be able to do it. I'm glad I could help you. Don't put yourself down. Recognize who you are, and uh, like like this. You are you are what? I'm just going to list some things. You're a child of God okay, a child of the living God, you are righteous, made righteous in your nature by Jesus, you are loved by God, you are free, you are empowered to free others, you're gifted, you have a unique one-of-a-kind gift and perspective on things no one else in the body of Christ has, but now hear this, just like all your brothers and sisters... Okay, that, that's, that's, that's how we don't think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. You know, wonderful gifts, power. A friend of mine uh, told me when he walks into a room, he thinks to himself, the room just got better. The room got better because I walked into it. I like that. That helps me. it, it does. You know, we sing that song, when you walk into the room to Jesus, he can walk into rooms different ways. He walks into a room with you, through you every time you walk into the room so the room gets better. But when we take that and then we think, well, then I'm a big shot or uh, whatever language you would put to that, then we're thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. And it's, it's a struggle, though, to have a call from God, to have things you know God wants you to do, um, like parenting, you have kids and you want them to you want them to grow up responsible and well you want them to love Jesus and it's how do you do that but not take yourself too seriously does that mean you're not taking God's gift to you or God's call to you too seriously I don't think it means that it it means this that when I am in the process of pursuing this vision this call that God's given me um I, I, at the same time, am totally trusting him to fulfill it. And so the question, how do you not take yourself too seriously, and yet still, with all of your energy, might, and life, pursue what God's called you to, and it's like this. You trust God to fulfill it. There's a verse I've been leaning into for uh, decades, and that's 1 Thessalonians 5.24, and it says this. It says, Faithful is he who calls you. So you have a call, not just to be in Jesus and part of the body of Christ, but within that call, there is a call as to how you fit into the body of Christ and what God wants you to do with your life in this world. And that's a lot what uh, the seminar is going to be about, isn't it? It's going to be awesome. And so you have that call, and then you look at the rest of this verse. It says, faithful is he who calls you, and he will bring it to pass. I kind of like the old King James version. It says, he will do it. It's just short and to the point. He will do it. And the simple truth is none of us are smart enough to arrange all the different, you know, the different things that happen in life, you know, for us to take those all and put them all in order and make them all come together so that it moves us ahead into our call. None of us are smart enough to do that. What we do need to do is this. We need to, every moment of every day, live for his glory. Every moment of every day, be conscious of the things he's called us to. And every time you see a step ahead, you step into it. You take risks. You're going for it with all of your heart and energy. But when you miss, you, you don't beat yourself half to death because that's taking yourself too seriously. We got to laugh a lot, we got to pursue God's will for our lives with all of our energy and heart and passion and at the same time, laugh, 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 laugh a lot. Because you know that even if you miss it today, that doesn't mean you're going to miss God's call or will for your life. But if you don't try today, you might. If you don't go for it today, you might. But if you go for it and you miss, hey, there's tomorrow. Tomorrow. It's never quite as good as we think and it's never quite as bad as we think. And so you keep going because God's the one who fulfills the dreams that he puts into our hearts. But, but that doesn't mean we're not active, okay? Make sure you hear that. We're going for it full force. But when we miss, we just laugh it off and move on. Now, if we miss by sleeping with our neighbor's wife, we don't laugh it off, okay? So don't, don't go out here thinking that. But we miss just by, you know, it didn't happen the way we wanted it to. We laugh it off and we move on. So we don't take ourselves... Too terribly seriously. So let's read the passage Romans six through eight. Uh, there's not a whole lot I'm going to say about this passage because uh, it, it kind of speaks for itself. But he says here, "So we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another." See communion, the whole thing. We're united with one another through Jesus. Then he goes on to say this: "Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, I'm going to talk about that in a moment." Each one of us is to exercise them accordingly. Just stop on that phrase. That tells us right there that his emphasis here is not on a set list of gifts, that this is a special, different type of a list of gifts, but the whole emphasis here is how do you function? How do you use your gifts? Whatever they are, how do you use them? Well, you use them, not counting yourself too highly, honoring others, and you honor the gifts there in others. And so he goes through this list of gifts now. And he says, if prophecy according to uh, the proportion of faith. If service in his serving. Or he who teaches in his teaching. Or he who exhorts in his exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. And he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Romans twelve six through 8. So those gifts are intended to show us how to function with others who have different perspectives. And the key to it all is honor. It's all honor. So we honor others when we, we, we don't think like the world, but we think like Jesus. We recognize that we are in a world system that is going to constantly draw us into comparing ourselves with others and to seeing what others are doing and thinking, am I doing as good as them? You know, I'm older than that person and they're doing better than me or, or whatever. And Paul says it's foolish to compare ourselves to others. And so that's, that's what the world wants. The world wants us to find our self-worth and our, and, and, and our self-image by comparing ourselves to others. But God's word says, no, we find our self-worth, our self-image is found in Jesus, in knowing him, and in loving him. And so when we begin to have a renewed mind, then we no longer need to compare ourselves to others or look at someone else's gift as if it's better than ours or as if they got more than we did, because then we can see as Paul said at the end of Romans 12:2, right at the end of that verse 12:2, he says you're going to see that God's will is good, pleasing and perfect. It's good, pleasing and perfect. That means that the gifts that he gave to you are good, pleasing, and perfect. Good, pleasing, and perfect for you. Exactly right for what you need, for how he's made you, and the way you are going to find fulfillment in life is finding what that is and and going for it. Giving all your might and laughing a lot. And when you do that, then you enter into a, a realm of exciting relationship with God that he created you for because he designed you for that very thing. So it says, since we have a variety of gifts in accordance with the grace given to us, now I want to say this, it's not the amount of grace given, but the expression of God's grace that's given to us. It's not like you look and you say, well, you're a preacher, you got more of the grace of God than I did because my gift is mercy, which is one of the gifts we just read. My gift is mercy, so you have more grace because you stand up in front of people, you do something, and, and I'm, I'm behind the scenes constantly doing things, so you have more grace than me. It's not that, it's, it's not more, it's just different, a different expression of grace. When I uh, was in seventh grade, I tried out for the football team, and uh, in, in those days, everybody tried out for the football team, so there were far too many guys to make the team, and I didn't make the team. But the coach said this. He said, Any of you that didn't make the team, if you want to come and practice in your gym shorts and t shirts, you can come and practice with the team. And if you do that long enough and prove yourself faithful enough, maybe we'll figure out a way to get you a uniform. So I did that. And one other guy and I did that. And we went for weeks. And after about three weeks of us coming, the coach took us into a back room, equipment room. And he rummaged through these old boxes. Like this was 19, probably about 64, something like that, and he found some equipment that was probably from 1942. I'm not kidding you. You know, everybody else has these shoulder pads that come out and they're sharp and square. Ours came. Ours were round. And, the, and everyone else had hip pads that were like uh, big underwear that you put on, and then all the pads went into slots. Ours were these things you just wrapped around your waist and, and cinched with a belt, and they'd just slip all over the place. Now, I'm afraid that some of us feel like that. Like, you know, I'm probably third string, and I'm just going to get the crappy uh, equipment. And uh, some people are, you know, you're you're the first-string quarterback, so you get the you get the best stuff. God gave you the best, and He just gave me something, you know, not much. Now the truth is, He gave each one of us the very best. He gave each one of us the best because his will is good and it's perfect and it's pleasing. And that means the gifts he's put in you, when you get in touch with those, when you understand what they are and you get over the whole idea of being intimidated or feeling like you have to be self-deprecating all the time and you just start operating in them, you're going to experience a fulfillment and a joy in life and a flow of God's presence into you and through you that you can't imagine. And here's one thing, all of these gifts are designed to release the presence of the Holy Spirit. All of them are. Not just prophecy, all of them are. So when someone prophesies effectively and accurately, it releases the kingdom of God and the presence of God into the atmosphere and into uh, someone's life or, or a group's life. But at the same token, when someone exercises their gift of serving or mercy which often isn't as visible. It releases the presence of God, the atmosphere of the kingdom comes into the room. And it releases the Holy Spirit's presence into the room. And you have no idea the breadth of impact it might have. You know, that widow that gave the two pennies, do you think she had the gift of giving? I think so. I don't think you have to be wealthy to have the gift of giving. She gave two pennies, she didn't have any idea that Jesus was standing there watching her, that that was going to be recorded in the gospels. And for centuries, it would be one of the most powerful statements anyone could ever hear on sacrificial giving. She had no idea. And yet her act, her act of faithfulness, just living for God's glory in that moment, exercising her gift of giving has echoed down through the centuries. You can, you can see other illustrations like that in the Bible. The little boy, the five fish, five loaves and two fish. Do you think he knew that every giving campaign that would ever happen to build a building in the history of the Western church anyway would be based upon that story? He didn't know that. And you don't know either. You know, in the Old Testament, there's a story of Jonathan, Saul's son. And um, uh, he, he and his servant are off all by themselves. They do something very courageous. They climb up a rocky cliff to battle, do battle with the enemy. And he, he killed, I think, 20 men in the space of half an acre, it says. You know what happened next? It says the fear of God fell on the whole battlefield. Miles away, people that didn't even know that Jonathan had just taken on these 20 Philistines and killed them all. People who didn't even know that, the kingdom of God was released there. You get that? He does this thing. It was a brave thing, a courageous thing. One of my favorite stories in the Bible. He does this thing. He didn't, people didn't have to read about it in the newspaper the next day for the impact to happen. He did that. It opened up the kingdom of God to come crashing in all over, all over the place, all around the battlefield. People who didn't even know it. So when you exercise your gift, whether other people see it or not, is irrelevant Cause you're tapping into the kingdom of God. You're releasing the kingdom of God right, right there, right now. And you could be releasing something that's going to change a city. Amen. You could just, just in a simple act of giving, in a simple act of serving, exercising your spiritual gift, you could be doing something right there that's going to release power from heaven into your city that's going to reverberate and change everything. And when we think about it that way, I hope you recognize that all any of us should want to do is just find out what's the gift God's given me. What are the gifts He's put in me? What am I made to do? And then do it. And then do it. And then look around and rejoice with others who are using their gifts. You know, one way we don't think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think is we honor others. We truly rejoice when we see someone else do good. We see someone else step out, and they step out in faith, and, and, and God is honored, and things happen. And we just we, we, we just, we experience personal joy because my brother, my sister, they're, they're successful. I was just reading last week about three brothers who are in the NFL. Two of them, by the way, play for the Steelers. And the third one um, is for, plays for another team. But the third one, the article said probably had the most talent of the three, but he was injured his senior year. And he's barely made it and barely held on in the NFL. But, you know, all three of them have a tattoo on their arm somewhere, and it's a fist. Now, you would think, well, are they fighters? No. They said, this, this, we're as tight as a fist. He said, we as brothers are sticking together. No matter what, we're, we're together. And can you imagine one of those brothers being jealous of the others because the other scores a touchdown in the Super Bowl? They're not going to be that way, because, because they, understood, they understand brotherhood. And when we understand it, then we're going to rejoice and celebrate every, every moment of success any one of our brothers and sisters in Christ experience. And I think that's probably the thrust of this whole thing, this whole passage, and all of these gifts, prophecy. You know, everybody, God intends everyone to, to prophesy, Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 14. That's why he says, according to the portion of faith, because some people uh, are able to prophesy to rooms full of people, and others are called to prophesy one-on-one to somebody in personal ministry and and that sort of thing. But uh, obviously, we're all called to serve too. And one of the things that happens is, not only does my gift bring a unique contribution and perspective to the whole thing, but my gift also stirs others to operate in that gift. You know, just like there's a gift of evangelism. or if you're an evangelist, your job is not just to evangelize, but when you exercise your gift, you stir others to evangelize too, whose gift is not necessarily to evangelize. Does that make sense? And so the, the whole thrust of all of us this is, is, is that, um, that, that we operate in the gift we have. We don't compare. We don't look at one and say, you got more grace than me or more of this or more of that than me. We just rejoice in what God's done in us personally, and we rejoice in what we see him doing in and through others and uh, laugh a lot. And when we do that, we're, we're going to have just a powerful, powerful experience in our own lives as well as in the, the team I'm working with, where, whether I'm on a team working with the children or with teens or with prophetic team or prayer team or whatever and that's what God's calling us to so let's all stand yeah father uh, we just want to stop right now we just want to thank you that you've made us all uh, different but equally wonderful you've designed us in your image and uh, wow just thought of this your image is infinite so there's an infinite expressions of, of who you are through each one of us. Thank you that you, you didn't take us to the back room and pull out the old equipment. You, you, you give each one of us the brand new stuff that's perfectly designed for us, that's perfect for who we are, for our backgrounds, for our personalities. And that when we find that gift and we begin to engage in it with all of our hearts, you're going to work through us, you're going to work in us, there's going to be beautiful, beautiful things happen in our lives and in the lives of those around us. And so I just pray right now for just a blessing of freedom, a freedom from any sense of inferiority, freedom from any sense that you are different. You're, if you know Jesus, then you're in Jesus equally to everyone else. You're not, you're not like different somehow in a, in a defective sort of a way. I I free anyone here from that that is is struggling with that, and I free you to walk in the joy and in the peace of knowing God's called you, and you're going to go after it with all your heart, and he really wants you to enjoy it, so you're going to laugh a lot, so blessings in Jesus' name.